This is Ground Control. Ground Control. This is Ground Control with Dina Eden. Stephen Ford. This is Ground Control with Sarah Adams. Recorded at Groundwork Co-working Space in downtown New Bedford, Mass. Hi, I'm Sarah Athenas. Welcome to the Pushy Women edition of the Ground Control Podcast. I'm here today with Diana Painter, who does a lot of things around New Bedford and the South Coast, but she is the founder of Miss Pockets, which is a startup that adds pockets to women's clothing, and we'll be talking to her more about that today. So thank you, Diana, for coming. Thank you for having me. So um, let's get started. So I originally wanted to have you participate in the fashion podcast, and then we ended up just doing a separate thing due to scheduling. But I do want to ask you some of the similar questions that I had planned for them. So I wanted to start just by asking you what what your relationship to fashion was like at a young age, like how you remember... Um, relating to clothes as, as like a, an adolescent and as, as you grew up? Um, so for me, I, I learned how to sew really young. I was probably eight years old. My sister was getting married and learned to make dresses. And there, that was really exciting because I had so many dolls and being able to, you know, control something and be creative with this sort of like template, like one thing that you're dressing. So I started out like cutting clothes out of paper and like wrapping my dolls in them and taping it. And then (laughs) moving to like hand stitching, like buttons and snaps on things to make them attach so that my little tiny two inch teddy bear could wear cute little things. And so I'm learning how to sew was part of a, kind of my family's history. My mom almost opened a wedding dress store where you could like pick the different pieces of the wedding dress, kind of a match it Mm -hmm. system. Um, And so it was always around at least sewing. Um, Fashion on the other hand is kind of different. So I grew up in uh, a small town in Idaho, kind of small, like 50,000 people, which is pretty small when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. And the, we didn't really have a lot of stores. So I always was interested in clothing, but I didn't have access to it. I didn't get to see it. So making it at home and being able to go to the fabric store and make anything I want, like that was really exciting to me. And there was a piece too, but being in a small town without a lot of options of that, like being really unique and trying to stand out because when you're in a small community, being able to have your own personality and have it be unique is really challenging. So I always made like really interesting, weird things that were... You know, my parents would kind of roll their eyes as I walked out the door to school, but that was part of the fun. Cool, cool. So that's, um, that started young for you, because I've noticed some of your unique outfits <laughs> since I've known you as well. So that's my next question, actually, is if that, if you feel like that relationship to clothing and the, the way that you present yourself has shifted at all as you've entered into adulthood. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I would describe myself in a lot of ways as a recovering goth. (laughs) That was always a thing, is like the freak scene of the 90s and the kind of grunge and then moving as an adult, being able, trying to stay unique, but also be able to fit into contexts where you don't want to stand out that much, you want to be taken seriously. And so trying to balance that line of, I remember there is, I had this teacher when I was in college and He, we were talking about, I had this like bright, bright pink suit that I had made out of this like pink plaid that was just almost fluorescent and I would wear it and I had like dyed my hair different colors and he, and he said, you know, I can, 
we were talking about politics, and he said, I can imagine you someday testifying in front of Congress in that bright pink suit. And I remember that being so vividly as like, yeah, I can do that, but also like realistically now, <laughs> you would really have to be in control of some really smart ideas to be taken seriously and be able to have that freedom. And so it's it's changed over time, though, you know, when you see somebody who's a really smart dresser, you do take them a little more seriously. Yeah, I know, it's so true. That's That's like... I think one of the big realities I had to come to terms with as like adulting, you know, and it definitely is like, I think I went to one extreme where I was like in my, in my late twenties and I had like a, my first management position. And so I was like, I had bought blazers and the trench coat and all that. And then, you know, I quit that job and I threw all those clothes out in the dumpster and like, you know, went back to like dressing however I wanted because I was a freelancer and now I'm trying to like figure out the the happy medium but it's not easy <laughs> the challenges we face um, so what I wanted to talk to you about today is your your company or your project Miss Pockets or tentatively titled Miss Pockets um, and I first saw this or came into contact with it at a pitch contest that was run by Efrall here at Groundwork. Um, and so my first reaction was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been to a networking event and just been annoyed that I can't stick my business cards in my pocket because I'm trying to look professional. So I'm wearing a dress and, you know, I don't want to carry around my heavy purse with me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then I also looked at um, your display that you had and what you had written and some of the commentary about how that. Um, you know, the effect of not having pockets in female clothes actually is taking away our access to capital and therefore access to power. And so then it really hit me on a much deeper level. So I want to hear from you how that, how your thoughts kind of collected behind this, how the idea came to you and, and how it got started. Well, a lot of, uh like, we've been adding things. Like, when I make clothing, sometimes it's like pockets are the last thing. They're a detail for sure. But, uh, you know, the idea really came to me. Um, I knew I did wanted to do something for the pitch contest because I keep a little diary of my million-dollar ideas, and this happened to be on the list. But it was because I had went with a friend to the Mystic Seaport, and we were walking around, and all day long, she's like, will you hold my phone? Will you hold my phone? And, like, the guy who had cargo pants on had to keep putting her phone in his pocket. And, and I realized, like, well, that's kind of silly. For one, just having access to it, to this, like, we're having this beautiful day, and she's taking pictures of wonderful things, but to just not have any place to put it. And, and every woman knows that, like, you put it in your bra, you put it, you know, in between your pants and your, your skin, and, like, trying to find a place to hold it. So it just seemed like such a natural idea. And then, too, it was, like, the, the researching the history. Like, history of costuming has always been something of interest to me. And seeing, you know, the history of pockets. So in the, it was like the 14, 1500s, the Middle Ages, everybody carried around sort of a tied on, a bag onto their, um, either under their clothes or on their clothes, hiding it from thieves. But also like that was both, both genders were doing that. And then over time, it shifted into the 1700s. And they say that it started um, around in France during the revolution, that there was a lot of discussion about um, poverty and economics and that sort of thing. And so having, they used to have these really beautiful purses that people could carry around and put stuff in. And poor women were, were um, still carrying around stuff under their skirts as well, hiding it. And 
And then it was sort of that movement moved into what they called the uh, Rational Dress Society. In the, in the 1800s here in America, there was called the Rational Dress Society. And it was about, some of it was about like banning the corset because every woman knew it was incredibly uncomfortable. It totally hindered them and throughout the day. But also that was a time when men's clothes became more functional and women's clothes even more pushed to being more about beauty. And that's when there, the sort of disparity between the amount of access we have to be able to carry anything happened. And that history really was something I could connect to as well because, like I said, growing up in Idaho, I lived in a very let's say traditional atomic family where my mom was sewing and cooking and staying home with the kids and my dad went to work every day and you know, yeah. you had to wait till daddy gets home was like the worst thing you could say to a kid. Right, right. And, so, and so I understood it very personally that you know, yeah, it was, there's this sort of disparity that was going on that really did mean something. And I mean, it may have been political, but it was also something I could control <laughs> because as a, as a person who is designing clothing and creating clothing, I'd say more of a creator, there's a, an amount that like you can take all these good ideas and add them in and that's when you get something like a product that people really like or something that, you know, I remember, I also worked at a wedding dress store and I just remember when a girl would try on a dress with, the po with pockets, she'd put her hands in it and she'd spin around and she'd like, oh my gosh, this is the best dress ever. And that, and that, that even that positive association with having that for a wedding, because <laughs> what do you do with your hands, right? Everybody has that question, whether it's public speaking or whatever. A pocket is a great place to put a hand, if not anything else. <laughs> so true, so true. I have, um, I have a really bad habit of like picking at my climbing calluses when I'm in conversations. It's very unattractive and I'm un unsavory, but I always, when I try on dresses with pockets, I'm like, oh, it just feels so good to like be able to put my hand somewhere because otherwise it's like, are you putting them on your waist? Are you clasping them behind you? Are you just like, I mean, I guess you can just stand there and like let them hang, but most of us don't have like the, the presence and the confidence to stand like that when we're in a conversation. So yeah, I definitely, I feel that the pockets are, are nice just for hand resting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I do want to ask you more about how the business is, is going, but first I wanted to digress a little bit because I was recently reading a reference to um, Herland. Have you ever read mm -hmm. Herland? It's a, so it's a, a book that was written by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who's kind of like a classic um, feminist who was very um, outspokenly against marriage, even though she ultimately ended up getting married. Um, but she, this is a, it's a utopian novel about an all-female society. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in the novel, there's like some male anthropologists that go and they're studying, and it's kind of like humorous the way they, they interact with these women. Um, but anyway, there's a passage that pointed out that the women were dressed in, in layers of tunics and that the tunics were covered in pockets. <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. So I thought of you. Um, I don't know. I'm not really asking a question, but... <laughs> no, that's really interesting. Um, so one of my, if I can remember the name of it, I just bought this book, um, and I had been, I actually bought a couple of copies online so I could hand it out, but now the name is escaping me. But it's a dystopian novel about the sort of the gender roles reversed, and it's about this young man who wants the same, wants equality in a way, and his sort of being uh, subversive, and his mom makes him, they, one of the reasons they say that, well, men can't become divers, pearl divers in this uh, ocean city or 
sort of seafaring uh, culture. And it was because they have no, the swimming suits have no place to put their, you know, their male parts. <laughs> and, and, and part of it, they discuss pockets and they discuss like, it was very interesting too to see it from another perspective of using it as a as a way to control power. Mm. But I also really recommend the book if I could just think of the name of it. <laughs> but it's also super humorous, so there is an amount of like you can't dystopian novels. I mean, either they're going to be really sad or they're going to have to be humorous. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess that's a that's an interesting point too. Is that the I mean. The, um, the inflexibility of gender that fashion pushes us into goes both ways, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I have a lot of male friends that complain about that. To me, I really like to wear um, super brightly colored tights when I climb, and um, some of my friends that are climbing are like, I wish I could wear those, you know, but I'm a dude, and they don't even make those for me, so it's definitely, it goes both ways. I think that's important to, to acknowledge. So I'm curious about how, um, since I saw you at the pitch contest, how this, how Miss Pockets is going. Have you made progress? Um, how how have you been received in the public as you're, as you're promoting this idea? Well, it's been really interesting in that most people, again, right away they agree with it. Still trying to find a price point that's going to work with folks because they they say they want it, but really getting people to hand out the cash to make it happen is a little different because one of the sort of parts that people are afraid of is like, is to, um, for one, change something that they already love. So there is a, an amount of fear when you hand over your favorite dress or your favorite pair of pants to someone and right. that you don't completely know. And to, even though you, you have an idea, it's going to come back good. Um, so there's been some, uh, discussion around that. I still keep finding people who want to do it, but that like, how do you get, the, how do you turn that screw and like really make it happen? Do you, mm -hmm. you know, take their stuff or, um, a lot of it's through my referral networks, and so that's been really positive, being able to add in materials to things that people already own, but that's usually because they know me. Mm -hmm. So there's still there's still a lot of discussion around it, too, and I was uh, floating the idea, even as we developed for the pitch contest, with partners to, um, to find other people who wanted to do it, right? So people who could help with both the, the labor, essentially, and they were, there was some discussion again around price points about being able to pay people enough to do it, but be able to also make the, the um, what's the term for it? Being able to make it at a price point that the people who are making it can uh, afford it as well. So there's a great quote by uh, Henry Ford that says, he said one of the best things that he did was that he wanted to make sure that all of his people who were working on cars could afford to buy a car. So he paid, why did he pay him so much? Because he was creating customers what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And so working that out still has been, been the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, although I'm always looking for more business as well. Mm -hmm. the, uh, and the other thing I've been really waiting on, is, honestly, is to get my, mo my mom's sewing machine to Massachusetts from Idaho. So my sister's bringing it out this summer, but that's a, there's something, it's an industrial machine from the 60s when everything was made in America, really quality machine, and I know that I can do much better fine work on that machine. So I've been holding off a little bit until I can get that, get that pulled out. Mm, that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting 
point you bring up because I've had the experience of working in retail stores where I, I on the retail wage, I couldn't afford to buy anything in the store. And I think most retail stores fix that by just heavily discounting their employees. But it's not really getting to the root of that economic problem, is it? Um, so that's a real that's a real interesting point. So, so I thought so I thought that you know between twenty and thirty dollars would make sense, right? Because you're really this is a value added piece. One of the things that people that we, as we were floating pointed out though is that a lot of people are not buying quality clothing to begin with, and so if they're buying a three or five dollar shirt at okay, I really like that place, uh, Rainbow Clothing in, in Fall River, and there's the one here, Mad Rag. But the clothing is such low quality and so cheap to begin with that they don't want to add $30 of value to a $10 pair of pants or even a $30 pair of pants, right? Is the is the value actually doubled when you add to it? Now, and then that goes back to you know, when we talk about the practicalness of it and we talked about people who are professionals, so it's a, a, an okay amount for young professionals and adult, even adults. Well, young professionals probably are adults, but <laughs> the uh, but for folks who are not investing in their wardrobe, it doesn't seem quite. They're not quite ready for that addition. So, right. so there's right. some adjusting yeah. on that right now. Yeah, I got it's. I got a um, a very nice professional dress at the Salvation Army the other day, and then I spent twice as much as the dress cost to get it dry cleaned. It was kind of funny, but it still came out well in the end. You know, it still worked out for me. Um, I was going to go somewhere with this, and I totally forgot. Um, oh, yeah, so, it, I mean, it's an interesting problem that you bring up that you're sort of working in the fashion industry, which is, like, notoriously horrible for labor standards and violations. I mean... You don't even have to read Mother Jones. You can just watch Zoolander. <laughs> like, it's, it's all out there, right? Um, so that's that's another challenge. Where if you know if you don't want to send these clothes to Indonesia to get pockets sewn into them, it's being done locally by people who deserve a fair wage. Um, then that's that's a very interesting problem that you bring up. That you're kind of trying to work within this industry that's already broken in a certain way. Well, and in some ways, New Bedford is is a perfect place for that for a lot of reasons. One is that we have the, the talent, but also um, it's not a unique problem to me. It's for all artists being able to be paid what it actually costs to make something and being able to be valued for the time that they spent and then making sure that they can continue to do it. So I think in that way, it's nice to be in a place with a creative economy because there's a lot of people trying to address this and how do we, we either find the right customer or change things or, um, I think relying upon one another for a lot of things, which is why I think Groundworks is so awesome in that way, is that it really gives people a place where they can share resources so that they can continue to to make a living. And I think that's, so that's one of the ways that we can solve it, but it doesn't work necessarily in the specific for me right now. Right, right. <laughs> well, I hope that. I hope you find a solution because I think it's really cool, although I'm, I'm guilty of not sending you any dresses yet, so I need to... <laughs> I need to make that happen. <laughs> um, so my next question, um, getting getting away from the pockets, is one that I ask everyone in, in when I do the pushy woman segment of ground control. And I spoke to you about this a little bit before we started recording, but the, the idea for pushy woman comes from one of our members who he's 
probably going to get sick of this because I say this in every podcast, but he's a great guy and I'm definitely not um, saying anything negative about him, but he made a comment one time implying that um, I was a pushy woman and that some other women at Groundwork were. Um, And so, of course, you know, I took issue or, you know, had some questions about the need to to add that adjective to somebody that's out of the house getting shit done, essentially. So what I like to ask everyone is, um, do you consider yourself a pushy woman or not? Uh, I wish I could say yes. <laughs> and, and I think I would have been even more when I was younger. It depends. Like, in a positive way, like, being pushy is really, like, being that assertive person that's, like, answers the question first or is the first person to raise their hand and... I am not that person. I always like to be the second person to raise their hand, or I like to hold my comments for a little bit longer pause so that I make sure that someone else gets a chance to speak. And I think some of that comes from um, just a lot of time spent trying to recognize my own privilege, and so I try to do that. But in if you're if you're not the first one, uh, sometimes nobody does it, or they because they don't want to wait. I say, for example, I was in a staff meeting today where. We had a really great question posed, but I really wanted to r- the room to sit with the question before I even felt like I could answer it. But by the time I had, b- I was ready to raise my hand, I felt like I had to interrupt someone to do that, and I didn't want to do that. So in some ways, I wish I was more pushy, and I need to like that's a skill I need to practice is finding that balance between like letting other people have the right of way, but also it's like you know driving in traffic. You you have what's your level of uh, risk that you're willing to take to. Um, to get to your goal faster. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I really love being around really strong, assertive women, though, because I think that it sets a good example and it helps me, like, step up my game. And, and even around men, you know, I've had a lot of different staff people work for me over time, and those people who are willing to jump in right away and who are willing to stand up and say something, like, I'm not always the person that complains when my mail's not quite what I want because... You know, I, I try to reserve my energy, if you will, for when it really matters. Mm-hmm. And so when I see somebody doing something unfair or treating someone else poorly, I have the energy to stand up. Um, but sometimes I, you know, really probably should have complained about the meal. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. And we all, we all have to choose our battles for sure. I definitely, you know find myself remaining quiet when I find something to be offensive. Not not all the time, but sometimes just because I don't want to be that righteous person that's <laughs> going around calling everyone out. But um, it's I think it's a tough balance, and I do think, um, you know, you can comment on this if you want, that we as women, it's a little bit more um, nuanced for us, or we're, we're subject to, to a higher level of judgment than men when it comes to what's pushy and what's not pushy. And um, what's acceptable and what is. So another question that I like to ask um, all of my guests is, who inspires you? Um, that's a really good question. It kind of depends on the day. <laughs> um, so one artist that I really like is Edward Gorey. As I said, it was recovering goth. And um, Edward Gorey is from the Cape, but a lot of people know he has kind of an aesthetic that's not not for everybody. But I think that his art is especially beautiful, just that sort of line and flow. And even his, like, um, he designs costumes for the New York Opera for a while, and they're just amazing, beautiful things. Um, Other people who really inspire me, do they have to be real? (laughs) 
No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, then my hero is Wonder Woman, of course. <laughs> Wonder Woman, uh, for one, we share a name in common. So that's helpful. And is that her real name? Yeah. Her real name is okay. Diana Prince. So, and I've, <laughs> that's right. I've always loved her since I, I was a kid because um, she was so strong and she really spent a lot of time doing good. And she even like had to leave her family on the island and, and came to America. And so there's also a bit of like patriotism in there mm-hmm. that I think is really beautiful. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> Wonder Woman and Superman were both immigrants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the... Important. <laughs> Important. <laughs> Very important in this in these days, yeah. um, and um, in fashion, I really like Betsy Johnson. I mm. uh, remember once I saw her on the street in Los Angeles, and uh, it was in Beverly Hills. I remember so vividly. I can still see her walking down the street with her sort of bright red, kind of unique hair and her very unique sense of style. And she also just has such a, a history of being able to come up with new and creative ideas for so long, having such, just like a whole, I mean, she must have been at least be doing this for 40 or 50 years now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. always love that. I like the little flowers and the little hearts and mm-hmm. the dark palettes at the same time as being really bright and creative and colorful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I still get a lot of inspiration from, from her and looking at yeah. her art. Awesome. Yeah, her stuff is fun. It's super fun. Um, Awesome. So one final question for people that are in the New Bedford area or or beyond, actually, who are listening and have a dress or a pair of pants and they want pockets sewn into it, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, So the best way to do it is to email me because I'm one of those people who's addicted to my phone. And so I answer emails fairly quickly. My uh, email is Diana spelled like Wonder Woman, D-I-A-N-A, dot Marie, M-A-R-I-E, dot painter, like an artist is a painter, at gmail.com. And I'll respond to that pretty quickly so that we can, you know, set up a time and talk more about the options and, you know, we can discuss price points if we need to. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So we'll write that up on our website as well. And then I... I had this idea as we were chatting that it would be great to see you do some pop-ups at stores downtown like Calico or Hippo. And maybe it's just like a drop-off point where people can drop off their dresses and and see some examples of your work and things like that. Oh, yeah. Hippo is especially cool. They have so many fun additional, not just selling stuff, but having artists be part of that that store. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Lots of good stuff happening in New Bedford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was at a staff meeting today, and the director, the president, was talking about um, one of the reasons that people who are doing good in this area or people who have moved away but still are donating and helping nonprofits in the region. And he said, you know, a lot of people feel that New Bedford is a place that gave them a chance. And, you know, whether that be with the, the amount of immigration that we have or the people like myself who moved from far away to be here just... There, there's so much great opportunity and there's such this great culture of collaboration and people who are working together that it's just such such a cool place to be. Yeah, it, 
I definitely agree. I know Dina and I had so many, we came out of so many meetings when we were starting groundwork, just looking at each other like, oh my God, is this really happening? Like, are people really opening this, these many doors for us? It's really, it's a, it's a very special community in that way. And mm-hmm. I didn't grow up here. Um, I grew up in Bourne, which is like a half hour away, but I feel like I was just welcomed into the folds immediately and, and never felt like I got outsider treatment or anything like that. So mm-hmm. yay, New Bedford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Diana. Anything else before we, we close off? Or yep. Okay, well, hopefully we'll have you back in a few months to talk about how this Pockets is going or maybe some other exciting topic. But um, if, uh, if anybody has a better idea for a name for the business, I'm not sold in Miss Pockets. Again, it was like you had to like fill out the form, and I was literally in the car on my phone filling out a form for the Everall pitch contest. So I really would like some creative brainstorming around that now that people know that there's a good idea that needs a name. Awesome, cool. We might... We might take that up in a future blog post for you (laughs) over here at Groundwork. We've got some good namers. I'm not one of them, but (laughs) they're around. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Recorded at Groundwork Coworking Space in downtown New Bedford, Mass.